I am um, tickled to death to be a part of a church that has so many different ways that they're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Do you see it that way? I, I'm so thankful to be a part of that. Um, uh, it seems like almost every person in here has something or some role that they're trying to play in order to reach out and be the hands and feet of Christ. And so I, I'm just thankful to be a part of y'all this morning. Um, it is um, Labor Day weekend, so we're, we've got several travelers. So if y'all would be praying for all those that are traveling. But uh, today is also a national day of prayer. Um, and I believe it is one of the best proclamations that our president has made since he's been in office. It's one of the best things that he has done is to make a day such as today a national day of prayer. When you think about it, we are um, um, on the verge, if you will, of nuclear war. Um, when you look around, uh, the nation was literally falling apart and biting and devouring one another. And then a hurricane comes and you see it come together. You think that's coincidence? But today is a day that we are going to have a national day of prayer. And before we go any further into our service, I want to make sure that we, um, we begin this with a prayer that focuses on what uh, the leader of our nation has asked us to do. I want to read a passage of scripture. This is the passage that he used whenever he made this proclamation for a national day of prayer. In Psalm chapter 46 verse 1, you don't have to stand for this reading, but I'm just going to read it to you. Psalm chapter 46 and verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and He is our strength. He is a very present help in a time of trouble. It literally means that God is our shelter or our protection in danger. That's what it means when it says God is our, our refuge. You know, right now, as much as I ache and I hurt for, for all of the people affected uh, by the things that have happened from Hurricane Harvey coming in. And, and as much as I ache for all of the people in the United States and even the people in Korea that are, are literally living days in fear, wondering what's going to happen next, I'm so thankful that during these things that God is still our refuge. He is our protection. He is our shelter in the time of danger. And you know, as bad and as horrible as it is, and God forbid that we ever have to even experience what some of these are experiencing. But you know what? It's during these times that we learn this verse right here. That we learn that it is either true for us or it is something that we need to work on. But I do pray that during this time, that if it's one thing that the United States learns, I pray that all of us as Americans learn that God is our refuge. And He is our strength in our time of trouble. And He is very present. The book of Acts chapter 17, I believe it is, says that He is not very far from us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. He's right there. And all He's waiting for us to do is to reach out for Him, is to grope for Him in the hopes that we might find Him. And the Bible tells us very plainly, that for those who search for Him with all of their heart, they will find Him. Amen. And so my prayer this morning is that 
through all of this turmoil and through all of this trouble that we face in this cursed world, that today would be a day that people would turn to Him and cry out to Him like they never have. You know, as horrible as situations like this are, you think about September 11th, 2001, but the churches have never been more full in all the world. The churches have never been more full than they were the day after that happened, the Sunday after that happened. And so, you know, as horrible as these things are, I'm going to tell you, God uses each and every one of them to draw us back to Him and to remind us of one thing, that our hope is not in this world. You know, again, I would hate to be in their situations and I would hate to know what it feels like to be homeless, pretty much. But the truth of the matter is, if God takes all of our homes away tomorrow, you do realize that your hope was not in this temporary world anyway, right? The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, I want to come to you, and I just want to say thank you for, um, for trouble. Lord, I, along with all of these people here and many others, we, we hurt for our brothers and sisters in Texas and anywhere that's been affected by this weather and this hurricane that has came through. But God, I know that you allowed it, that it was under your control, that it was under your divine direction. And Lord, as hard as that is for us to accept, I also know that you mean it for our good. And Father, I pray right now that, that most important than even getting homes built back, God, I pray that we learn to trust you, to turn our eyes upon you. And when we turn our eyes upon you, all the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And Father, I pray that that's what takes place today as this national day of prayer has been proclaimed for all of the United States to take part in. Father, I pray that churches everywhere this morning, that we are in one mind, in one accord, that our hope is not in this world. Lord, if you give it all to us and then take it all away, Lord, our hope was never in the gifts that you gave here in this life anyway. So Father, I pray that we learn to trust you. I pray that we learn to to allow you to be our refuge and our strength, God. Father, I pray this morning for, um, for North Korea. God, I pray for those people of North Korea, Father. Lord, I can't imagine the fear that they live in daily. And Father, I pray for them, God. I pray that, that, Lord, if this thing came to war, Father, I know that there would be many over there that would suffer that are no different than us. So, Father, I pray for the people of North Korea. Father, I pray for the people of the United States that live in daily fear, just wondering uh, what, what tomorrow holds. But, Father, I pray that it's in this fear that we learn that we have no other hope but you and that that's a good thing. Lord, as hard as these times are, I pray that you lead us to you through them, God. And Father, I pray that you cause us to turn our eyes upon you and that you would make all the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. So Father, again, I just agree in prayer with all of my brothers and sisters this morning and, and especially in all of the United States that are praying with us, God. Lord, I just pray with them and I just ask you for that one thing. Turn our eyes upon you. Lord, remove all the fears because we trust you. Lord, remove all of the concerns of whether or not we have a home over our head or not because we trust you. 
And Father, I do pray that we fall more in love with you as a result of the trouble that we see in this world. And God, I know that's easy for me to say. I still have a house. I still have a car. I still have, I still have food. So Father, I, I'm not taking anything for granted that, that Lord, it, it's difficult for them to do so. But Lord, I just pray this morning that that's what takes place for all of us in times of trouble. God, turn our eyes upon you. God, this, this thing is coming to an end quickly. And Father, I'm just praying that when it does come to its end, that we're found trusting in you and nothing else. So Father, that's my prayer this morning. And I pray that you cause us to do that in you. God, I love you. And I thank you so much that you are the Savior of our souls this morning. Take it all away. And even still, we magnify your name, God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 24 and 25. And do just a very quick run through of where we dropped off last week. Just a very quick recap. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say, hold on. All right, here we go. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You can be seated. Would you agree today that every day that passes by we see the day drawing a little bit closer? And according to these scriptures right here, one of the most important things that we have to be careful not to neglect is the gathering together of believers. I want to explain to you why. The Bible tells us that we are put together in Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. In Ephesians 2 it says we are joined together. We're built together into Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.16 says we are held together in Jesus Christ. And it says we're held by what every part does or by every share doing its part. We're held together. Colossians 2 verse 19 says that we're nourished together. In other words, when you nourish something, you give it what it needs in order to grow. You give it its, its nourishment and its sustaining power through whatever that may be for the body. We are nourished in our faith together. And that's the key thing I want you to pay attention to this morning. It tells us that we are knit together. When you knit something and you put it together, you bind cords together so that they, they are tighter. And the more you pull apart, the tighter they typically get. So we are knit together in our fellowship. And then finally in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, it says we will be caught up together. In other words, we're going to be raptured together and we're going to be taken to our heavenly home together. Now here's the point that I'm trying to make to you is that the Bible talks very clearly about the need for us to be together. And it never speaks anything of Lone Ranger Christians. 
Matter of fact, in the perfect sinless Garden of Eden, you'll remember the first time that God says that it is not good. Every other thing He says it's good, it's very good. And then one time we hear Him say it's not good. And the thing that He does is He looks at man and He says, it is not good for man to be alone. So we know from the Bible that God has created us for community. He has created us for fellowship. He did not create us to do this on our own. And I would venture to say biblically today that it is near impossible for you to grow in your faith alone. Because God has given the body what it needs in order for us to grow and be fitted together. So... The church is a body of believers. It is a living organism. It is not a building. As I told you last week, you don't go to this church. This is not your church. You don't come to this church. You know why? Because you are the church. The church comes with you. This building is not the church. You are the church. The church is the body of gathered believers for the accountability in their growth, for the responsibility in their growth, involvement in growth for their personal faith, for the faith of others, for the kingdom of God. And it all operates inside the gathering of the believers. When the Bible talks about a church, it's referring to either the universal one church that All you have to do is believe on Jesus Christ and put your faith in Him as Lord in order to become a part of that church. Or it is talking about the local gathering of believers. And we looked at several scriptures. I gave you those last week. You get on the internet to look those up. We're not going to go through those again. So here's what I want to answer the question today. Does the Bible command church membership in the sense that we submit and commit ourselves to a specific local body of believers. Let me put it to you another way. Is it okay for you as a Christian to just bounce from here to there and here to there and here to there? Or does the Bible command a specific commitment and a specific dedication to a specific local body of believers? Believers, because that's a big deal for a lot of people. They say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. They say, I love Jesus, but I I don't want to be a part of this church or this church or this church. Instead, I'm just going to go all around. Well, what is wrong with that? Well, first off, it's not biblical. You know, in the first century times, you'll, you'll notice the metaphors that are used. When the Bible talks about the church or the pastors of the church, it talks about shepherds and sheep. Right? Well, if they were using that metaphor in the um, ancient days whenever they wrote this, everybody knew about shepherds and sheep. Did you have a shepherd that'd say, well, my sheep are just visiting sheep. About every three days they show up and they want me to clean them and they want me to feed them and then they take off and they go down the road to the other shepherd and then that shepherd takes care of this right here and then they leave there and they go to the other shepherd. Does that make sense at all? When he compared shepherds and sheep, he wanted them to understand that there was a commitment to a local body of believers that there was an elder or a pastor or 
plural, not singular, plural in every church you look at. And then there were sheep or there were Christians that were there and they were to be, uh, they, they needed someone to help guide them and someone to feed them. Do you remember what uh, Jesus told Peter before he ascended? He said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. That's what I want you to do. And so what I want to look at is ways that membership is implied in Scripture because it is not explicitly commanded in Scripture. You're not going to find a Scripture that says, Thou shalt come before the church and ask to be a part of this fold of believers. You won't find that. But you will find church membership to a specific local body of believers implied all over the Scriptures. So let's take a look at the first one from last week. The first way that it is implied comes from Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. It says, The church is to discipline its members. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You see that? But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So we have this process going. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So we've got to define who is this church that we're telling it to. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So if there is no membership in a local body of believers, or let me just take membership out, a belonging. Let me say that. A belonging. Where you come in and you say, I am committing myself to this local body of believers in order to put my part in so that as every part does its share, not only do I have personal growth, but I help others with their personal growth, and then their personal growth helps others with, with their personal growth, and so on, and so on, and so on. So we see a belonging that takes place in this. If there is no membership or no belonging, then how do you define who's to take care of this matter? Here's the process. Me and Jeremiah have an issue. And so he's done something to offend me. And that happens, correct? Anybody in here ever been offended? Amen. All right. And so my next move is to do what? Say, you know what? I don't like Jeremiah. He's dumb. I'm just going to get out of Wells Baptist and I'm going to go down the road and find me another church because there ain't nobody in the other church like Jeremiah, right? Is that the way we handle it? No. no, Jesus says that's not the way we do things around here. He says, here's how we do it. You go to Jeremiah and you tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's the goal, is to gain your brother. If he don't listen to you, then go get two or three more so that every word may be established and so that they can help. It ain't to build a team. It ain't so that we can build the Kevin team and the Jeremiah team. It's literally so that we can resolve this and so that we can get this wall that's between us cast down. And so I take two or three with me and I go sit down with Jeremiah and I sit down and I talk to him. And then if he listens, I've gained my brother. But if he still won't listen, he says, tell it to the church. 
okay, so what are you telling me? Do I need to go down here to all these different congregations and say, okay, I want you, 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 and you. Y'all get together, you're going to be the church. No. Jesus understood and it was implied that there was going to be a local gathering of believers somewhere. And there were going to be offenses that would come and there would need to be discipline that would need to take place. See, we don't like church discipline. Nobody wants to talk about that. And I understand that because for the most part, the people who've tried to do it in the past have abused it. They thought that they were the rulers and the, 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 that what they say goes. They didn't understand that the whole purpose behind this thing was not that we want to punish somebody, but instead there cannot be a wall of separation between us because there's no longer a wall of separation between us and God. And the Bible says that if you say you love God whom you've never seen, but then you got your brother over here who you don't love and you've seen him, the truth of the matter is you're a liar and the truth's not in you. How can you love God whom you've never seen, but you can't even love your brother who's right there? There cannot be a wall of separation between us. We have to do everything in our power. The Bible says, as much as is possible with you, live peaceably with all men. This moves to my next point. The next reason that church membership or church belonging is implied is because excommunication exists. Man, I'm getting into some deep stuff this morning. But I want to help you understand what that means. We're not trying to kick people out of the church. Matter of fact, that is the worst thing that could actually happen. That is the absolute worst thing that could happen is that we might have to ask somebody that you can no longer be a part of this fold. But look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to look at a scripture to show you just an example of when something like this would come into play. Would you agree with me that we are different as Christians than the people that are not Christians and are still living in their sin? Do you agree with that statement? We're different. We're called to be different. All right. So what happens when you have a part of the body of believers that according to, I'm not going to go back to it, but if you were to go back to 1 Corinthians 5 at the beginning of it, it says that a man here is living in such sexual immorality that he has his father's wife, I believe it was. And so apparently somebody's already went and tried to talk to him to say, Hey brother, man this ain't the way Christians live. Something's not right. And then apparently somebody's went back and they've got two or three more and they've went back to him and they said, hey, we can't keep doing this. And he keeps on and he will not come out of this thing. Do you now see that it reaches a point to where the church finally, for the good of this man or woman, whichever the case may be, he, they have to do something to not allow them to continue to live in this. And we'll explain why here in a minute. Let's read this first. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, not, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? In other words, we are to hold one another accountable. You'll remember several months back I preached a sermon, hashtag don't judge me. If you didn't get that, go online and read that because that's the uh, mindset of today is don't judge me. But the truth of the matter is the Bible actually commands us as Christians to judge one another, to lovingly hold one another accountable, to desire to see each other grow in the faith. 
He says, God judges those on the outside. We judge these on the inside. You know why God judges the one on the outside? Because darkness is not strange to those who live in the dark. You remember when you lived in the dark before you came to know Christ? Darkness wasn't strange to you, was it? (laughs) Just the way you lived. Just the way it was. Darkness is not strange to those who live in the dark, but to those who have seen the light, darkness should be strange, correct? And so we are called together as those who have this in common. We have seen the light. And now our responsibility is to hold each other accountable lovingly in such a way that we desire nothing more than to see you grow in your faith, see you become more like Christ and less sinful in our ways. He says God will judge those who are outside. It ain't up to us to be going out there going, I can't believe old Billy Bob out there is living with this woman and doing this and and doing all this. Listen, Billy Bob's out there. Darkness is not strange to Billy Bob because that's where he lives. But you, you're in here. You know better. You know the difference. You have been brought to the light. And so now we have a responsibility to judge those who are inside. God judges those who are outside. Therefore, purge the evil person from among you. Again, it's not about kicking somebody out of church. Go on to verse 14, I believe it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. No, that's not it. I'd have to find that later for you. Anyway, the point of the matter is this. We have a responsibility to judge one another. Not to kick somebody out of the church, but to love them enough to not allow them to remain. Here's why. Look with me at these scriptures. I didn't give you these, um, Nathan, so if you can get these in there real quick. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. This is very important. Because if you say you love one another, you better listen to the scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, I can't name them all, but y'all get the point. And then look what he says with me in verse, um, as he continues on. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, or some versions actually say, practice such things. Those who practice such things will not what? Let's suppose you've got a brother in your congregation that is living in these things and practicing these things. I'm not talking about stumbles. I'm talking about lifestyles. Y'all see the difference, right? And let's say you've got a brother or a sister that falls into one of these things of a lifestyle. Is there any danger there? Apparently so. Because those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you don't inherit the kingdom of God, what do you get? 
you say you love me. You think I like discipline? How many of your kids like discipline? How many of your kids say, I can't wait till mom and daddy disciplines me again? Don't work that way, does it? We don't like discipline. We don't like being held accountable. But don't we need it? And so it's very important that we understand that if you love me and you ever find me in one of these things, the best thing you could do for me is lovingly go through this discipline process even if it comes to the point that I so deny it and I so will not accept it and I so will not come out of it that you finally have to say to me, Brother Kevin, as much as we love you, we can't be a part of this anymore. We don't want to think that, do we? I don't. But if you love me, is that what you're going to do? If you love me, it is. Because those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something. I would rather you hand me over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and you'll see what the point behind it is. I would rather you hand me over to Satan for the destruction of my flesh if you say you love me than to let me stay in that and act like it's okay. That's just the truth. Excommunication exists. Paul talks about letters of recommendations to the churches. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, I think I gave that one to you. He says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Here's what you need to understand what's going on right here. Paul was having to prove himself as an apostle to these guys. And so here he mentions the fact that when some people come to you, in order for them to be accepted into your fold, they come with a letter of recommendation to say, I know where this person stands, I know where they are as a Christian, and I know that they will be good in your fold. That's one of the reasons why we do what we do today of letters of recommendation. If you come from another church to this church, we want to be able to know from that other church that that church says, this member is in good standings. This member is a good faithful Christian. This, number, this, this, this member is doing the best that they can do with what God's given them. And as a result of that, we recommend them to you. So here we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need, as some others, letters of recommendations? He says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and ready by all. He said, that church is my letter of recommendation. Paul said, I'm the one that established this thing. That's my letter of recommendation. Number three, the way membership is implied. Christians are commanded to submit to their leaders. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. This is an important one, please. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. <laughs> Listen, as a pastor, my responsibility is not anybody outside of this fold. Hear me again. As a pastor of this church, my responsibility is for you. 
But how, wouldn't you say that one of the best things that a shepherd could know is which sheep are his? How is he going to keep watch over his sheep if he don't know which ones are his sheep? And so here's what I want you to know. Apparently, it was implied in Scripture that there was some kind of an agreement and accountability that people set themselves under this leadership, under, under this accountability. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let me tell you something, guys. If I'm going to have to give an account, if Nick's going to have to give an account, one of the best things we can know is who we're giving an account for. So let me tell you something. Membership is absolutely implied here. And again, this is a series on doctrine. This is not an infomercial or a commercial for Wells Baptist Church. If it was, I was waiting on a Sunday where everybody wasn't traveling. We had a house full, and then we just saw members come like crazy after the... You know what I'm saying? That's not what this is for. This is about teaching you, no matter where you're from, that if you're a Christian, it is biblical for you to find a place that you set yourself in under good leadership, so that they can hold you accountable. And look what it says in verse 17. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. <laughs> For that, I'm so thankful that they even handled this back then. You know, Amen. do so with joy, not with groaning. Not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So there again, because we are committed to submit to our leaders, we see that memberships is implied. The last thing that I'm going to bring out, there are many more. The last one I'm going to bring out is shepherds are commanded to care for the flock. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. So not only are the members committed, uh, are commanded to commit and uh, obey the leaders, but also the leaders are commanded to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Here again, we see that there was a knowledge of who was in their flock and who their leaders were. Here's my question to you before I go much further. Those of you who are members of Wells Baptist Church, will you listen to our guidance? Because I'm going to tell you what I found. And I don't know if Nick has found this or not, but here's what I found more than anything. Today's Christians are a little different. We march by the beat of our own drum. We love to hear what the preacher has to say. We love it when he preaches a good sermon. We love it even especially when it's that hard toe-stomping stuff. Until it comes to my front door. And then when it's at my front door, all of a sudden, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to go my own way, and I'm going to do my own thing. Members of Wells Baptist Church, I'm asking you and begging you, will you please recognize that we're not marching by the beat of our own drum, and that if we're trying to guide you in a path, and you know what hurts the most? Most of the time when I'm trying to guide you or when Nick's trying to guide you, it's not the easy path. Here's what Jesus said to His disciples. He said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
Now I want you to think about the path that Jesus said, I'm leading you down. What do wolves do to sheep? Unfortunately, I'm sorry to tell you that a lot of times in order for you to be in the center of God's will, it is going to mean you're suffering. That hurts. You don't know how many times I've sit in those very offices back there looking uh, both young men and young ladies right in the eye and fighting back tears because I have to guide them biblically when everything in my heart says, but if you were in their shoes... It's not about my shoes and it's not about your shoes. It's about our guideline and our responsibility because we're watching over your souls and we have an account to give. And we have to do this with joy and not with grief. And so he says to watch over the sheep, the fold which God has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Listen to me, guys. This is a precious thing that God has put under our care to take care of. And I don't think me or Nick, either one, really have an idea of the judgment we're going to be standing in front of. If we did, I think we might be a little bit more serious than what we are. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. This is the last scripture I'm going to go with. 1 Peter 5 verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you to do, not for shameful gain. It ain't about the money. If it's about the money, let me tell you, there are a lot more stress-free. You want to tell you the hardest part about being a pastor for me? I share in every single one of your problems. But you want to know the worst part about it? I can't fix a single one of them. How many of y'all men know what I'm talking about? Your wife comes to you with a problem and you can't fix it. We're fixers. That's what we do. And you can't fix it. How does that make you feel? Agitated, stressed. The only thing, your response is usually anger and your response is usually uh, 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 so many different things because you can't fix it. Well, let me tell you something. Not only do I have a wife at home with problems that I can't fix. Sorry, baby. But I also have a church full of people with all these problems and we can't fix it. The only thing we can do is guide you. And you know what's rough about that? The guidance we usually have to give usually means you're suffering. How many of you won't get paid for that job? It ain't about the money. Man, if it's about the money, I'm going, I'm staying at the water plant because I, I, I love my job. I love what I do. It ain't about the money. It can't be about the money. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, there's an eagerness for you to do it. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you know why one of the reasons that every time we have a dinner or something, do you know why I'm the last one in line? Do you think it's because I want to be last? Listen, I don't know if y'all have ate with us here lately, but y'all some heavy eaters. And by the time the last person comes through the line, you know what I get? 
<laughs> we just pack it on up and go to McDonald's or somewhere. <laughs> Man, y'all clean house. I don't do that because, because I, I, I want to be last. I do that because I understand this verse right here. My number one job is not to just rule over you. My number one job is to be an example for you. You know why I go get tea jugs and start filling everybody's jugs? It's not because I want to be a servant. No, I'd rather be served. But I remember Jesus said this, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And my job is to be that example first and foremost. Jesus said, you want to be the greatest among these? Be the least and the servant of them all. Then you'll be the greatest. That's why I do what I do. Because my role is to be an example to you. But here's what you have to understand. You, as a Christian, have to put yourself under that place of responsibility and accountability. If you don't put yourself there and you don't obey those who are over you, and you don't follow the example of those who are over you, now let me tell you something. There's a lot of bad leaders out there. There are. I'm not telling you to follow bad examples. I'm not telling you to stay at places that are not teaching you good things. But I am telling you that as a Christian, you need to be in a local body of believers somewhere that is leading you and guiding you in the right way, even if it's a way you don't like and means you're suffering. If it's biblical, you need to be able to trust it and you need to be able to trust God and follow this thing. Church membership is not commanded, but it is implied all over Scripture. Here's my last question that I end with. This is my closing. What would the church be like if everyone was as committed to it as you are? Think about you right now. This is a personal time. What would the church be like if everybody was committed to it as much as you are. And then, would you want to be a member of it? We have a good church here. I'm not up here preaching a sermon saying we don't. Y'all heard the 30-minute announcements. <laughs> we got a good church. We got a lot of people that are serving and doing a lot of things. But I want to know, are you committed to this body of believers for the purpose that God is doing in it? Have you committed yourself to that? Have you committed yourself to a body of believers anywhere for that matter? And are you finding your part in it? That's what this is about. And I pray that you'll see it's biblical. I pray that you'll see that God means for you to be a part of it so that we can help guide you and you can help guide us and we can do it together.